Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. This week, we've got three stories we thought we would discuss. The first being some announcements from Facebook around messaging and how they're thinking about messaging moving forward. We'll look at how Microsoft is thinking about tablet mode. And finally, we'll close out with a discussion around Disney+. Plus. So we'll start first with some of the announcements we've seen from Facebook this week. The first was that their Thread app, looks like it will be a separate app, but really targeting messaging on the Instagram platform. And it comes with the ability to share a bunch of information with your friends or whoever you decide to share that information with. So things like location, battery life on your phone, and other things you can, uh, your speed, can share that information with others. And then we also saw some announcements related to Facebook Messenger where they're removing the Discover tab and they're adding other business-like applications, including appointment booking and lead generation. So we're, we're seeing Facebook make several moves in the broader messaging arena. Facebook seems to have this obsession with splitting out parts of functionality and and trying to create apps out of them. And Messenger has probably been the only case uh, in in which that's been successful because the functionality had so many users at the time that they did it. Uh, But in general, they tend to do a lot of these experiments and they leave them out there for a few months and then they retire the app. Uh, I I think it's going to be tough. I think one of the appeals of Instagram for its users, like, for example, my son, you know, uses it uh, for messaging, already thinks of it as a messaging app. So why split out messaging uh, into yet another app? and, and, you know, I know what it's about. I, I know why Facebook wants to do it, because they want to sort of saturate the market with messaging apps so that nobody will go to Snapchat or there's more competition to iMessage or what have you. But if the functionality is already in, t- in Instagram, uh, I, I think it's going to be tough for them to... Uh, slice it out. I, I think some of the things that they're doing in the app, such as location sharing and, and level of battery, I mean, I, I guess that's useful and it's helpful to be able to communicate that stuff. But for example, you know, they tried cutting out a photo sharing, private photo sharing, and something called a moments app that they pushed hard for a year. That didn't work. Um, you know, Instagram, they had this app called Boomerang uh, that allowed you to create these little animated GIF type things. They eventually folded, you know, much of that functionality back into Instagram. So uh, unless it's something where there's a huge amount of activity already and they make it so that they're, that they excise that functionality from the main app, I think it's going to be very tough for them to lure people away from from Instagram uh, messaging. So, what what are your thoughts? I know that you know you you've talked about how how you know your your kids are, are big Instagram users as well. Yeah, and they are, and I do think, like your son, they see it as a messaging platform in and of itself. It's interesting that they want to create a a standalone app, but make it a companion app to Instagram. 
Um, earlier in the year, they ceased working on what they had called Direct, which was a standalone messaging app that they'd been developing for the last couple of years. And so there's this friction where they're trying to build a, a messaging platform and, and at the same time, um, you know, they, they abandon attempts. And, and clearly, Facebook more broadly thinks a lot about messaging, whether it's Messenger in Instagram or, of, of course, uh, WhatsApp. So th there's a lot around um, messaging taking place. I, I, it's interesting, too, to me to see companies target some of the areas that are strongholds for Apple. So as the, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, as the hardware uh, commoditizes and as the hardware across smartphone vendors uh, is less differentiated as there's fewer changes and, and what were historically low tier providers are able to catch up from a hardware specs perspective, then the differentiation remains at the software layer. And right now for Apple, that's a story around iMessage. And I think it's also a story around things like location sharing. That's happening a lot within the iOS environment with respect to Find My Friends. I, I talked with a number of, of people over the last week. Some are sharing it within Google Maps. They're sharing their location within Google Maps. Uh, a popular app and platform for parents is Life360, mm -hmm. allowing to, them to, to, uh, to track their children. But a, a lot of the people I, I spoke with, the majority of the people I spoke with are sharing their location, and many are doing it through Find My Friends and the, and the iOS. So, uh, you know, both messaging and location sharing seem to be strongholds for Apple, and, and you see companies really targeting those, trying to become less of, a, of an operating system story and more of a, a broad, connected mobile environment story. Yeah, I, I really like that take. Uh, I, I do think it's about the OS vendors. So when you talk about uh, location sharing, uh, Google has had an app called uh, Family Link for a number of years uh, that lets you do child tracking, and they're building a lot of that functionality uh, into the next version of Android. Uh, I'm reading this story on The Verge about this Threads application, and the headline is Instagram's latest assault on Snapchat. And I'm thinking, is that really, you know, I, it's by Casey Newton, who, who follows uh, Facebook as, as well as anybody. Uh, but is, is that what it's really about at this point? I mean, haven't, you know, do they really need another weapon to take on Snapchat? It, it seems like they've, uh, they've done pretty well pounding those guys into the ground. Uh, but my favorite, you know, I think it's, uh, hilarious um, in, in like the third paragraph. Uh, in as you as you noted, Sean, uh, in May, Instagram ceased work on Direct. Uh, at the time, executives said beta testers were frustrated about having to switch between Instagram and a second app. Um, gee. So, you know, they've clearly learned that lesson. Uh, uh, I also thought it was kind of interesting that, uh, at least in this article, they position it as something that you would use with your quote close friends list on Instagram, which we talked about when it first debuted. Uh, and uh, it's, it's interesting to see uh, Facebook, you know, trying to uh, add value, add incentive for, for Instagram users to create that, you know, close friends 
list. Um, I'll also say in regard to iMessage uh, that this week I saw my first ever TV commercial for iMessage. It is uh, on message uh, with with. Apple's focus on privacy and security these days is a very plain commercial, uh, just really text moving around the screen, uh, talking about how iMessage uh, encrypts uh, messages end-to-end for more privacy and security. And of course, it is far from the only app that, that does that, many app uh, messaging apps and, uh, encrypt uh, end-to-end, uh, but, uh, you know, no, none of those guys have has done as good a job as Apple of getting behind this uh, privacy and security as as a marketplace message, and so they they continue to amp up their um, uh, their volume on on that differentiator. And you, it's interesting to see how those advertisements and commercials have shifted over time. Where for a while. Apple was showing what great photos you could take from your Mm -hmm. iPhones. And they still do that. But again, as the hardware is less differentiated from the competitors, then they start to look at some of these other things. And and I think that also reinforces this idea that you will not see iMessage anytime soon on any competing uh, platforms and, and operating systems. There's always some talk of, well, now that Apple's moving all of their services, right, other devices, and other smartphones from other carriers, maybe iMessage will follow. I don't think that will uh, be the case, not anytime soon at least, because it is the, uh, a key piece of their differentiation strategy. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, that that blue bubble <laughs> uh, that, that indicates that you're talking to another iPhone user is, uh, is, is something of a powerful incentive to... Um, uh, have uh, have people migrate because it it portrays Android users as uh, being not not first class citizens uh, well, in, in the iMessage world. Yeah, and, and I've seen it have that effect with with uh, you know K through twelve students who, if somebody in the group has a Android yeah. Android phone, then it's not a blue bubble, and so they'll actually create a second group of just iPhone users, and that. Uh, sometimes those Android users are, are feeling left out. <laughs> and so they're actually, uh, I've, I saw some interviews recently where those Android users were switching to iPhone in order to be part of that. Part of the blue bubble. Yeah, team blue, team blue, blue bubble. Part yeah. of the blue bubble. Yeah. Uh, when they're creating these groups around homework and, and other social activities. So um, that it is reinforced at a very young age. I, I did want to uh, just talk about the discover tab for a minute in messenger. Uh, and so what's happening there is that, so discover was, was this weird hybrid that would provide access to businesses on messenger and games. Uh, and so it is good to see Facebook, uh, exercising more focus there. Uh, and, and I agree with you that uh, things like online booking are, are going to be a huge boon uh, for businesses and, and a, a good reason for them to get on the messenger platform. Uh, the question is what, what happens to games? You know, I, I don't know if there's been that much activity there lately, but it also seems like in terms of driving engagement, something that Facebook would not want to abandon. So maybe they're pushing it aside for now, or they'll put it in some other tab. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm sure at some point they will, they will revisit that. Yeah. Well, and I, 
and to your point with some of the business features, I mean, I think Facebook always struggles with, are we a consumer platform or are we a, a business platform and can we build out a business platform? And it is a very important platform, especially for small businesses. I had mentioned to you, Ross, that I have a, a friend who lives out of state. She recently, maybe a year or two ago, started a dog grooming business and she wanted to uh, make me the co-owner within the Facebook platform in case she ever got locked out or lost mm -hmm. her you know, password or anything. And so now I get all these messages and I see all of this, you know, coordinating that's trying to take place in, within Facebook. And she does a tremendous amount of business through Facebook. So being able to uh, more seamlessly create leads, generate leads and book appointments will save both her and her customers and me because I see all of the, the banter. <laughs> a lot of uh, headache. So um, I think that will become, to me, that's a sleeper hit for small businesses. This will be, mm. uh, become a, a very important um, small business component. And I know everyone likes to jump on the bandwagon of, uh, of what a ho horrible company Facebook is, you know, that they have time to pivot and we might see them pivot in very interesting ways. And this is one of those ways that they're pivoting is moving towards groups. There's been a lot of emphasis on groups and, and also small businesses. Mm. Moving on to the next, uh, Ross, why don't you jump the lead and talk about what you're seeing from Microsoft? Yeah. So this definitely plays into the theme of pivoting and also the themes of uh, addressing business, uh, which uh, Microsoft of course is, very strongly focused on. And uh, the main story is that uh, Microsoft is going to be making changes to what's called tablet mode in Windows. So uh, particularly if you have a two-in-one type device, something where you can remove the keyboard or rotate it behind the screen uh, as with the Lenovo Yoga, it will often prompt you to uh, ask you whether you want to go into tablet mode and it's something of a different kind of environment. And the origins of this uh, were actually in Windows 8 where there was this tablet interface and the desktop interface and the two were like in two separate worlds and it was very confusing to Windows users. And so over time, Microsoft has rolled back more and more of that tablet environment and now they're going to be doing even more of that. And uh, why, why are they doing this? Well, uh, I think it's a nod to the reality that while all the PC makers, including Microsoft, are, uh, are, are shipping uh, computers that can shift uh, from sort of laptop to tablet mode in, in various ways. Probably 80% of, of the usage of those computers is, uh, is as a laptop. <laughs> uh, and so when you have occasion to switch into this mode, I think they want it to be more familiar I think they want it to be less jarring. And even if that means that it, the competition is, it's not as compelling an alternative in many ways to say an iPad, um, uh, that, that's okay. Because even though it's a two-in-one, people are still expecting to use it as a laptop the overwhelming majority of the time. And they, they tend to switch into this mode for very focused tasks, such as, 
reading a PDF or maybe watching a movie. Uh, it's not like an iPad where the apps are really optimized for that mode and you're probably staying in that mode the overwhelming majority of the time. So, so this is kind of what the tablet landscape now looks like in that you've got uh, Android uh, with just a, a few major vendors still supporting that, like, like Samsung uh, and, and Google itself stepping back. So, you know, Android on tablets is, is just sort of kind of limping along. Uh, and then, of course, you have Microsoft saying, yeah, you know, we saw the tablet mode, but we're not really going to invest a lot in uh, having developers take advantage of it. We, you know, we don't seem to be pushing it very hard. And then that leaves Apple, which has doubled down on the iPad, uh, even as sales have uh, declined. Uh, they're breaking out a whole new operating system for it. They're really optimizing for the iPad. You really get the sense that they still see this thing as the future of personal computing or mobile computing, you know, the, a real rival to the laptop. And uh, they... You know, if, if that's the way you like to work, it's it's getting to be kind of the only game in town. You know, certainly even today, the, the best game in town. Uh, and uh, the, the competition is just, you know, kind of on the run. The, the timing is kind of interesting uh, because in October, uh, Microsoft will do its annual uh hardware reveal it's its annual surface event and so they every year they have rolled out a new version of the surface pro which is their main convertible tablet and perhaps this portends uh some changes to the uh the surface lineup where they're not even going to be emphasizing the tablet functionality as heavily as they as they have in the past i know that uh with my son in high school they just did uh, a one-to-one -one computer um, program, program. So, yeah. every, so everybody has a, a computer now, uh, their own computer, and and of course they were laptops. So that that generation coming up is, you know, being being using that laptop in a laptop mode, and so um, I think that's another headwind to the the two-in-one, as we've talked about in the past. Uh, you know, most people are using it, and as you as you noted already, most people are using that in the uh, in the laptop mode and not really switching to it. And uh, it shows the the importance of having dedicated hardware for specific purposes. That we we'd rather have multiple devices that have well specified uh, use case use cases than mm. have the Swiss Army knife of of consumer electronics products that try to do everything and serve all of our needs. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Microsoft does in that education space, K through 12. It's definitely something they're not willing to seed. And a few years ago, they had this uh, big kind of push uh, about Windows notebooks and education, and all of their partners came out with these cheapo laptops <laughs> at the same event where they came out with this beautiful Surface laptop designed to take on the MacBook, you know. So all you guys, you know, like Lenovo and HP and Dell and Acer, you, know, you, you can all scrounge for, for the $150 uh, laptop budget. 
we, you know, we're, we're for people ready to spend a thousand dollars or more, uh, you know, the real, the, the real students. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, that's maybe a little unfair, but, uh, there still feels like there's a, a something that that needs to click into place there. I don't know if it's this Windows Lite operating system that uh, has been rumored for uh, quite some time now. Uh, whether that is their Chromebook competitor, uh, I doubt we will find out uh, before the end of the year. Uh, but uh, but that's what's uh, what's happening with with Microsoft and Windows uh, at the moment. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and the final story we wanted to hit on was uh, Disney Plus and some of the news that we saw this week around uh, Disney Plus and what's happening there. Obviously, uh, Disney making a, a big push to grow their what will be their proprietary uh, streaming platform. We also saw news this week that they sold their uh, 80% uh, ownership share of the Yes Network to uh, Amazon and a, a group of uh, investors. So, um, seeing them make some some big moves there. So, you know, if, if for those who may not be familiar, the Yes Network is uh, the group that owns the broadcast rights to the the New York Yankees. Uh, if, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty valuable property because of course the Yankees are, are a great brand, uh, and a, and a national brand in, in many respects. And, and of course, a, a very rich, uh, heritage of, uh, of championships and, you know, uh, players in, in the hall of fame and so forth. So, uh, it's, uh, I, I believe the sale valued yes network at about 3.5 billion. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, we were talking earlier, what, Disney feels like it has to gain uh, at this moment, but uh, maybe the price was right. Uh, but uh, it also seems to me, speaking about the Disney Plus angle, that they kind of have their hands full, I guess, at this point uh, between Disney Plus and Hulu, which they now own a uh, essentially own, you know, because they they got Fox's share of it when they bought. Uh, Fox, and then they bought, uh, and then Comcast sold its share uh, to Disney. So those those are two super powerful uh, platforms. And when Disney announced Disney Plus pricing at I think six ninety nine a month, uh, there was a, a lot of um, uh, a, a, a lot of positive reception from the investor community about how aggressive they were being. And now they just released this promotion where if you're a member of the D23 uh, Disney fan club, which apparently is a thing uh, that you can join for free and has been around for some time, uh, you can pre-order three years of it for something like $140, which works out to about four bucks a month. So uh, super aggressive moves and, and a good amount of lock-in uh, for uh, Disney Plus as, as it gears up to launch in November. And uh, Sean, as you were saying, you know, as before the call, if you have a young kid, you know, um, and, you know, seven years old, maybe, maybe younger, maybe even under 10, uh, it's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, because this thing is just going to have an incredible array of, of content uh, that, that will appeal to that age group. Well, and and Disney announced that it'll have their entire catalog. So it'll mm -hmm. have 500 films. It'll have over 7,000 
TV episodes. It'll have things like Captain Marvel. It'll have all the Simpsons. Um, you know, so it's interesting to see how digital has changed their business model. I mean, this is the, you know, the studio that used to release a movie and then not sell it for a <laughs> for many years and then right. re-release it. So when it came back out in, in physical. It was hailed as brilliant. Yeah. yeah and, and everybody yeah. would go out and, and rush to buy it so that they could add it to their, to their personal catalog. Now they're making the entire catalog available uh, online. The, you know, Disney plus will have a lot of um, features, including individual profiles and uh, the ability for offline downloads. As we were talking about before the call, Whenever I'm traveling with my kids, even now that they're older, it's good to have that offline download because we'll get on a flight and and they may not have the airlines app on their phone or or whatever they need to watch personal viewing. So they'll today flip to Netflix and watch offline viewing on Netflix. I could easily see them shifting to uh, to Disney Plus and consuming. you know, Marvel and, and anybody who has kids knows how good they are at uh, binge watching a <laughs> number of content. They can just go from video to video, you know, YouTube, their consumption of YouTube uh, enables them to go from video to video and, and they do it in the Netflix environment and it, it will cause them if they open up that Disney plus app, then it's going to, uh, I think really lock them in and they'll be there for, uh, an extended viewing period and Di- Disney also announced, you know, that they'll have it on um, all of it will be widely available. So it'll be in Apple iOS. It'll be Android. It'll be on Xbox. It'll be on Apple TV. So you're going to be able to find it lots of places as well, making it very easy to get to for, uh, for kids. Yeah. Well, and I think it's going to have a particular appeal for kids, but yes, I mean, it's so, so we're starting to see some of the first reactions to the interface and people are saying, well, you know, it's a little sparse compared to Netflix. Okay, sure. You know, they may not have uh, the volume of titles that Netflix has at this point, but what they lack in quantity, they are surely making up in quality, uh, not just all the Pixar stuff and all the classic Disney animated features uh, for kids, plus all the, you know, Disney uh, XD and all, you know, all the cable uh, content that they have. Uh, but, you know, holy cow, you know, Star Wars, uh, right. all the, you know, this whole Avengers franchise, uh, you know, th- those two things in and of itself are, you know, have an incredible legion of fans. And uh, what did they have, you know, five of the $5 billion grossing movies this year is the first time that's ever happened. Uh, so they are uh, on an incredible roll. And, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the acquisition of the Fox assets, bringing them uh, the Simpsons and, you know, so many other properties uh, was uh, was truly the uh, the icing on the cake uh, for, for this service. Uh, it, it's it's. And, and, and also in terms of the timing, that, that'll be my last point. I think Disney understands that they need to get out of the gate like now, right? Because you've, you've got the existing players, none of which have really have a strong studio uh, tie. Uh, you know, you've had CBS out there, but it hasn't really 
you know, taken off, but there's going to be more coming, right? There's Warner, there's NBC Universal. So they definitely want to be aggressive, not only against the incumbents, but to sign up so many people and lock them in for a long enough period of time that they're like, you know what, I, you know, I just can't sign up for another one of these things. You know, you'll, you'll have to make do with Marvel. I'm not going to, you know, shell out more money so that you can have access to the DC extended universe uh, on, on the Warner uh, service as well. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why you see them strategically thinking about that three year time horizon, locking people in for three years by the, by the time 36 months have passed, they will be very comfortable and, and familiar with making that payment on a monthly basis and they see what the lock-in looks like on cable as much as we talk about cord mm-hmm. cutters and there's still people who gladly dish out a hundred plus dollars a month for their their cable bill and that cable bill can inch up year over year without it really impacting uh, people calling up and saying hey i want to cut back some of this service they continue to buy what they've always bought i i think to your point you've made it before on the uh you know, on the podcast, it becomes a crowded space very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think the number of services that people will sign up for does become limited. You've got Amazon, which is essentially giving away prime video to anybody who's a prime member. And so that's hard to compete against because people aren't necessarily seeing it as a monthly fee. And then you've got, uh, you know, Netflix, which has, had a strong role in that space for for a long time now you've got disney plus entering so it will be much more difficult for others and and i agree completely with your point they've got to get in front of everyone else who's coming down the pike good well ross i think that's probably a good place to uh end it thanks for joining us again for another episode of tech expansive i'm sean dubervac and you can find me on twitter at sean dubervac And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. How about that? Look forward to your comments. We look forward to having you join us next week for another episode of Techspansive. (laughs) 